Morning Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It's Monday, and you're watching AM to DM. Hello. Absolutely. Let's start with this tweet from you, Saeed. I was in the restroom line here at Panorama NYC, and a kid goes, are you excited to see Janet Jackson? I say, yeah. How old are you? I said, 32. He turns to his friend, see, I told you the old people here were excited too. <laughs> mm. So many emotions. Step one, as you know, I hate when people talk in the restroom. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Wait until we're outside. Step two, young people are so brutal, and I live for it, you dumbasses. All three sentences have equal bearing. Say, same like again, this. same again. I love young people, mm. y'all are brutal, mm. you dumbasses. Just all, that is that is youth in a thing. The I old thought, people, <laughs> the old, how did, you, how did it feel? How did it feel in that moment? I thought it was so funny because it was so like, yeah, this is this is what begins to happen when you talk about top, you know, pop music and all of these things. I just thought it was hilarious. He, so he sees my reaction because I'm just like, making this face. You didn't have a poker face? You let it be known? <laughs> I have a poker face. I'm just like, this is incredible. And he goes, wait, wait, wait. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say you're old or anything. I'm 20. I'm 20. Um, I was just talking to my friends and you know, listen, like, we, there's a lot of this. I just, of this. I just, I just used the phrase old people, but yeah, I'm not I'm trying not to call you old. I'm not he hits you with the back pedal. Yeah, and he, he hits you like, with the back pedal. He was pedal. like, you know, we know Janet Jackson is a legend. We're going to see her too, mm. you know, out of respect. Mm. <laughs> He but, hit you with respect. But you know is how we ended it. Before I was like, okay, I'm going and Did he just kind of walk away? You walked away? What? I walked away. I was just like, I'm just gonna, I feel like this child is going to like. Did you say anything? <laughs> I, not beyond what I said. I was just gonna, cause sometimes I do, when people are ridiculous, I am entertained and I just like raise those eyebrows and I just let them go. Just, uh, it was incredible. Janet was amazing. Okay, the show itself. Amazing. After yes. this incredible drama that played out in the bathroom. We are watching Janet at the peak of her powers, I would say. Mm. She was dancing and everything. So, cause I came back to my group and I told them about it. We were joking about like, okay, where's our ARP cards? And we get a discount <laughs> on the wine we're drinking the at this slow concert. Down is not that. Come on, ARP. <laughs> and at one point, she's dancing and like, I mean, she's doing original choreography, like original if choreography, mm -hmm. pleasure principle. Wow. She gets down on the ground. At one point, I'm like, I, I couldn't do that. You know, I have a hard time getting down. <laughs> exactly. And the guy next to me goes, shout out, shout out to knees, shout out to cartilage. <laughs> I loved it. Shout, oh, shout out to taking care yeah. of yourself. Shout She's out doing to it. taking She's doing care it. of yourself. Also, shout out to SZA, uh, who went before her. Amazing. What was, so much energy. What was that like? Because for me, when I, you know, I was, I love to listen to yeah, SZA. Yeah, I think SZA kind of laid back. For me, I, yeah, that's that's the attitude. SZA was hype. Really? What was her performance <laughs> yeah, like? Yeah, she, she was twerking on stage. She was wearing a beautiful dress and, and uh, sneakers and just dancing around. It was a lot of energy and really fun. It was like taking that album mm -hmm. and it's when you're no longer heartbroken, mm -hmm. but you kind of like are honoring that space with your friends, you know, but very like kind of fuck you. <laughs> had, really that, good. had that high level mm -hmm. fuck you energy. And her energy. voice is great. She was hitting high notes that like kind of blew me away. I absolutely yeah. love it. Now let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. uh, so you watched the whole performance. You have a blast there. Um, did you see the youths again? Were you like, were you like standing there, you know, your arms crossed, maybe the sun coming up behind you, kind of like Gandalf when he comes over that ledge, wow. just hit them with a nod, with a like, yeah. Well, I mean, you're old in this you scenario. Pass. Um, I didn't see those youths again. Okay. Uh, in part because I was in the VIP section, which. Oh. Okay. Okay. You know. You're like being an adult pays. I love it though, but I love those moments because that is something we've all done when we're young, mm -hmm. you know, and then you know, not a few, not too much long later, it comes mm. back to. Us. To that point, uh, Twitter, we want to hear some stories today. We got a lot of story questions for y'all. Yeah. Uh, what's the rudest thing you've ever said to an elder? Oh, no. Okay, and you can say it on Twitter because we know not too many of our grandparents are on Twitter. <laughs> They're all on Facebook. Share your youthful abortionist using the hashtag AM2. Oh. I am going to live forever. Because that is, that's that's absolutely <laughs> the attitude of the young people. Yeah, you know, I I, I hear it sometimes. The rudeness. The uh, Definitely. Young was, people, you don't think things through. But, so but like rude. you said, we love you. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, listen, wildfires continue to rage in California today. Here's the latest from BuzzFeed News. At least six people are dead and over 40,000 and others have evacuated their homes as the deadly car fire blazes through Northern California. And here's an update from BuzzFeed News reporter Brianna Sachs, who has been following the car wildfire. Big, a big update on the car fire tonight. It's burned 95,368 acres and destroyed 874 homes, but now at 17% containment, a solid jump from the 5% it had been at for the past few days. And yeah, incredible, incredible images. And if you've been following Brianna on Twitter, she yeah. has so many, she's been sharing so many. Uh, Brianna joins us now on the phone from Redding, California. Uh, Brianna, good morning. 
guys. How are you? We're doing well. Doing Thanks well. Thank us. you so much for joining. Um, let's start yeah. here. How long has the car fire been raging and how did it start? Sure. So it's been going since Monday, um, so a week now, and it started from a uh, car mechanical failure. Car, car mechanical failure. Um, well, so part of what's been getting our attention is um, it seems like this sounds like an unprecedentedly uh, devastating wildfire. Can, can you speak to that? Do we know why this has been so bad? Sure, yeah. So just the crazy conditions here, um, like they we're dealing with drought, like very parched, dry vegetation. Um, and then for this, had um, a, a fire that created like its own weather system, which is rare. It's called like plume domination. So basically, like it was just so hot and there weren't any winds that like it created these like fire vortexes on Thursday, um, which caused, caused it to explode. And then on Friday, that kind of continued. So it really doubled its acreage quickly. All right, and and so you've you've embedded yourself with uh, many different first responders. Mm -hmm. um, are any of them talking about why these conditions are so dangerous right now? Is there any discussion of climate change? Uh, I you know some of them really don't want to say climate change, but but yes, um, this has kind of been going on these types of conditions, um, you know, in California for a bit. And I actually spoke to one firefighter who said this really interesting thing. He's like, I really started noticing fire patterns starting to shift in around 2012. Um, you know, they just started be getting, be, becoming more unpredictable. Um, a lot of these firefighters are like, I haven't seen this shit before in terms of like the fire vortexes and the speed in which the fire moves, they say, is new. Um, and then also the way it just suddenly jumps into urban communities, like from out in the wilderness. Um, that's what they're saying is also new and concerning and is like way to be our new normal here. And, and that seems like a really significant detail. Um, you know, I had some experience with wildfires in Texas, but nothing like this. So for people who don't know, um, you know, what is, what is kind of typical in terms of like, oh, I see a wildfire kind of up in the mountains on the horizon. I have maybe a day to evacuate and what people have experienced this time, which seems very different. Sure. And this has been like the past, you know, two major wildfires that we've had here is that um, due to just the really crazy wind patterns, the fire will just rush into neighborhoods, leaving residents literally like no time to escape. And um, authorities also just are like trying to get people out without any warning them themselves. So they'll be tracking these fires and they're like, oh, it's like 10 miles away. Like we have time. And then, you know, like the incident command center or incident commander here said that the fire moved just miles in a matter of, of minutes and just kind of stunned officials as well. So, so yeah, they're kind of each their own beast and um, they've been really behaving strangely and firefighters and fire experts are definitely warning that these are patterns that they haven't been seeing before, um, you know, in like close to cities. Patterns they haven't seen before. Uh, Brianna, I want to ask, uh, you know, it's Monday. What does the week ahead look like for the firefighters? Um, is there any hope of rain or anything that's going to help this become easier to contain? Yeah, so I'm actually at their morning briefing right now. Every morning at 7 a.m. they have shift changes. So the crews are coming in from being out all night. And then, um, you know, they work in 24 to 48 hour shifts. Ooh. So they're just... Yeah, they just announced now that um, the red flag warning that we've been under for the past two days is expiring at 8 a.m., so that's some good news. And um, they do they do think that they or they said that they made some progress last night. They haven't released the new numbers in terms of, like, containment or acreage burns, but it definitely feels a little cooler here, and um, it, they said they did get more air, uh, parts of the fire under control. Um, so it seems like it's kind of like slowly getting better. Slowly getting better. Uh, we also wanted to highlight this tweet from you, Brianna. Guys, meet Kepi. She's here to provide comfort to responders and alert her human. If any firefighters are exhibiting signs, they need to chat or get some emotional support. She's five and has been doing this work for three years. So what can you tell us about Kepi, Brianna, and the need yeah, for I therapy dogs for first responders? I'm upset. I need to go do a story on this, this dog. Um, so 
So her handler, um, you know, said some really startling things to me. He, he said, you know, I've been doing this for for 20 years, and it's just such a macho profession. Like, we are kind of taught not to talk about emotions, but, like, what we see is really difficult. He's like, you know, I have a five-year-old kid, and I would have to go out and make these calls where there, there might have been a child who died in a fire, and all, the, all I could think about was my son, and I couldn't really talk to anybody about it. So they, start, they started um, this therapy dog, so she's here, and she kind of walked around, and she was telling me that she's trained to sense, like, even when a guy is like, oh, yeah, I'm fine, like, no big deal, like, sense his behavior if, says, if his behavior says something different, and she kind of, like, flags it. And then his handler said, or her handler said that he'll, like, go up to that person and be like, hey, like, how's it going? Like, do you want to maybe talk? You know, so it's, it, and, like, pull them aside for a one-on-one, perhaps. So it, um, it was a really neat idea, and I haven't, you know, she's really the only one, I think, doing this work is what he, is what he said. All right. Well, shout out to Kepi. Mm-hmm. Shout out mm-hmm. to Kepi and those first responders. I know we all need a Kepi. Absolutely. We all need a Kepi. And shout out to those first responders because 24 hour shifts. Brianna, thank you so much yeah. for joining us this morning. No problem. Thanks, guys. All right, friends, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're talking about some truly dark, disturbing, twisted people, bad tippers. We're coming for you. We're coming. These are bad. Hi there, we have a tweet here from Rachel. Hey, Girlfield, uh, that's some knuckle action there. Mm. Uh, yes, Rachel, Isaac gets very intense. <laughs> We're discussing people tipping badly, especially waiters, bartenders. I'm somewhat nervous about this segment. I got a tranquilizer <laughs> dart aimed at him, but let's I get into get it. I won't get too fired up. Let's get right now. Mm. Act right. Mm. All right. Did you see this story over the weekend from Eater? Did it make you seethe like Isaac? Mm. Are you cracking your knuckles? Inside the twisted minds of deliberately bad tippers. Whew. One woman quoted in that story, Sam, a 29-year-old living in New York, got a lot of people's attention. Here's just a bit of what she had to say. Quote, I'm not going to be rude and say I don't care. But I actually really don't care. That's not my concern. I don't know you. You chose that profession. What? Yeah. And Sam, you chose that life, girl. Uh, Monica Burden, an associate restaurant editor for Eater, joins us now to discuss bad tippers. Monica, good morning. Hi, how are you? We're doing well. We're doing well. Okay. So your story, one thing I think is very interesting is it makes a distinction between bad tippers and deliberately bad tippers like Sam, who's now notorious on Twitter, I guess. How do you, how does that divide pan out? So there are people, most bad tippers probably don't know they should be tipping. Um, not all countries have our system of tipping. So a lot of bad tips probably result from people not knowing how much they should tip. But then there are those people that know they should tip and just don't, um, like Sam. Like Sam. Like Sam. Yeah, Monica, I want to talk about Sam just for a moment here. Um, <laughs> I would think if somebody chose to live this life, uh, to, to know, to know that they were choosing to be a bad tipper, that they would want to hide in the shadows. So how did you even get somebody uh, and the people that you spoke to in your article to talk to you about being deliberately bad tippers? And what's their address? It wasn't easy. Um, so Sam was someone I knew through friends. So I was able to sit down with her um, and really get her to speak candidly about this. And I am very grateful for her to really opening up and um, putting those thoughts out there. Um, and then I turned to Reddit because I knew there would be people there that don't want to tip and are willing to talk about it. Um, so no one was willing to let me use their full name, but uh, they were willing to go on record with these thoughts. And I'm glad you, and I, as you said, it's like, it's, I'm glad they did because it is, does offer insight, right, in terms, in terms of how people think about money. Um, how did people's, you know, uh, personal views about tipping line up with the research you looked at? Um, so most of the research out there isn't about people who are just bad people. It's um, about people who don't know they should tip. Um, but the research I, researcher I did speak to um, kind of had this theory that there are certain motivations for tipping and for the people who don't want to tip, they're, willing, they're not willing to tip and that um, fights against those motivations for tipping well. It's really, it really just boils down to that they don't care about the social norm and they're willing 
to transgress it. Yeah, and I saw there was other lines in it like uh, other people over tip, so it's like it all balances out. And as somebody that likes yeah. to over tip, it's like that's not the point. I'm not trying to pick up your slack. I'm trying to <laughs> hey, mm, ah, mm, come back. Sorry, I'm come getting, back. Whew, okay. Breathing, breathing, breathing. Whew. Monica, I, d- I did want to ask you this though. Uh, I, I made my living uh, on tips for a very long time, but tipping as an institution is pretty bad practice. It's um, linked to um, sexual harassment, uh, racial discrimination. Can you talk a little bit about tipping's history? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't come from a good place. There's, and it fosters worker exploitation um, and discrimination, as you mentioned. Um, And it comes from this idea that uh, we shouldn't have to pay servers a full salary. They'll just subsist on tips. Um, So the origin story for tipping is really bad. Um, and it is a shame that it's still something that we have to deal with, but because workers do subsist on tips and tips make up server salaries, we have to do it. It is the right thing to do. Right. It is not the employee's fault, uh, that we live in a capitalist society. Um, I also want to, you know, I mean, the reaction to your story, um, was pretty explosive and I think we understand why. I was just curious, since you published it, have people come to you with, you know, uh, additional kind of tipping stories or confessions? Um, what I'm hearing mostly is I hate Sam, tell me who she is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've anecdotally, I've had some people come up to me and say, well, I had this conversation with coworkers and there were people who were saying they didn't want to tip. So like after the fact, I'm hearing more about people who do kind of have this belief system. Um, but most people are just very angry about what Sam had to say. Yeah, and I say translate that anger into tipping, you know, the next person you can. Monica, thank you for your reporting. It was really helpful and interesting, and thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for having me. And that is, I think to your point, that is one of the important things about a conversation like this is a lot of people will say things that you don't like, uh, but it's good to to open that up and know that this kind of thing exists. It obviously drew a lot of great attention to the need for people to learn how to tip, to tip properly. Um, So let's take it to the timeline. Have you ever worked for tips? We want to hear your stories, the good, the bad, the ugly. Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. Let's talk about tipping. Um, And if you haven't talked... If you haven't worked for tips, talk about your philosophies mm-hmm. towards tipping. Yeah. We just yeah. want to talk about tipping. And I, as I recalled, I was like, I don't know if I have a story. Actually, I tweeted about this uh, last weekend, weekend before, mm-hmm. coming back from Miami. I was at the Miami airport, went to get my hot dog or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, the woman uh, you know, the, working in the register was a black woman, white guy in front of me, um, doing his transaction. And he's holding the dollar, just the dollar, to put into his tip jar. And Liz says, wait a minute now. I need you to smile for me. Oh my. And she had been very professional, mm. like whatever, but she wasn't being especially effusive. And she just like, you know, she was just like, listen, I'm tired and like just kind of smirked. And he was like, okay, just remember, you smile, the whole world smiles with you and walks off. And then we gave each other like the look. But I think that points to, you know, the harassment and stuff that a lot of people have to deal with. But do you have a, a tip? In- yeah, listen, I have so many stories that we'd have to do an own separate we segment. It'd be, be a whole show. Ever- yeah, we don't need to get old man Isaac just getting, cooking up, going. I will say once I was made to sing to get my tips back. I was made to sing for my tips um, and that was I will I will say it's a moment that I remember for the rest of my life it's a rather degrading moment yeah. um, so yeah be, just be nice to people be nice to your yeah. service people come on they're working yeah. it's, that's not too much to ask mm-hmm. well stick around friends Orange's New Black is back mm. that means Dasha Polanco is going to join us later in the show this morning and later this week we've got Simon Rich Rachel Zoe and Jerry O'Connor what a week Jerry O'Connor will O'Connell. be here but up next don't you forget it's time for Fire Tweets did I O'Connor him <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, so we were asking for you know thoughts on tipping at restaurants, at bars, whatever. Good point from our own Alex Berg. She is the line producer, which means she's in our ears, uh, guiding us she's through the, the show. Voice. She is the voice, the voice in our heads. Alex Berg had this to say: You can learn so much about a person based on how they treat people in the service industry. That's mm-hmm. a good point. So mm-hmm. beyond tipping, just how you're treating servers, great. And you add, if a date didn't tip well, buy, and yeah. that. 
Ooh. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And I think it Ooh. even goes beyond tipping in that case. Mm. Like, I, I have a lot of friends who say that they use this as a gauge for, uh, you know, whether yeah. they're going to go on a second date with somebody is how they are treating their waiter on that mm -hmm. first date. Pay attention to how they're playing, treating people who they believe are less important mm -hmm. at the moment. Amen. Phew. That's just, that's some free tea for you children. <laughs> okay. This tweet comes from Ditch Pony. Okay, Ditch Pony. Here we go. This film is rated D for drastically changes in noise level that make it very difficult to settle on a volume setting. <laughs> this drives me crazy. It me. This drives me crazy. This is up there with HBO. Why are all HBO shows so dark? Uh, Literally, like gotta like, turn the brightness up. Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. It's just like all. But yeah, the volume thing. Yeah, no, man. When I'm watching a show, and you know, especially if you mm -hmm. live in a city where you've got yeah. neighbors and Nervous. stuff, you're sharing walls uh -huh. with people. I'm always just like volume up, volume uh -huh. up, up, up. They're yelling. <laughs> down, 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 down. Yeah, a hundred percent. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like ah, I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> oh. Oh, Boom. There, there it is. Uh, Tommy Pico, you tweeted. A streetcar named I'm Tired. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. It's one of those tweets where I get mad that I didn't think of it it's myself. So, it's just been there in front of us all this it's time. It's so perfect. A streetcar Stella! named <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> Bring me a pillow. <laughs> Sleeping mask. Oh, incredible. Okay, this comes from Betty Drake. Today, my five-year-old niece borrowed my phone to ask Siri, why are butterfly wings so soft that I cannot even touch them? Then she called 911. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Mm, I love a mm -hmm. good story. You gotta watch those kids. That's right in under the cut before the five-year-old becomes a youth. Right? So she's not a dumbass yet. I'm just like, it's you're, still just, you're still precious. It's still Unpredictable cute. Unpredictable impression. It's still precious. I had a niece, uh, literally, I'm, this is not a joke. Uh, she's like, I'm gonna play a game. I'm gonna be mommy, okay? And I was like, okay. And then she took her mom's phone, don't know how she got it, just put it up to her head and then just went, and I swear to God, my sister-in-law almost started crying on the spot. It was hard. Kids are harsh, man. Kids are harsh. Brutal. All right, here we go. Uh, Miss Ignatia, I'm sorry. Miss Ignatia. Miss Ignatia Mommy. Yo, don't be inviting me to shit both Friday and Saturday. Grow up. Real. Yes. You've got yes. to choose. In fact, maybe even not even back-to-back -back weekends. <laughs> You oh, get like once a fair. month, that's once fair. a month. You got to do. In which case, that's you totally in your right to turn to me and say, how old are you? Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm old enough for one night a weekend. My, okay. my hair is graying <laughs> as we speak. All right. All right, tweet of the day comes from Hira. I love it. Thought I was meowing back to my cat for the past hour, but it turns out it was just me and my dad meowing each other from different rooms in the house. <laughs> I want to know what the cat was thinking. I wonder about the impulse because I don't have a cat. I, you know, I didn't grow a cat, so just like the impulse to just keep going. Y'all just were out. What was it like when you figured it out? Yeah, what was the conversation? <laughs> Did you just never speak of it again? Meow. <laughs> Did your dad know? Meow. Did your dad know? Is he a jokester? Right, is he jokester? Is he, is he playing with you? <laughs> and again, the cat just being like, y'all have Meow. lost it. <laughs> I want you to give meow. Back. There it is. Meow. Meow. All right. Listen, up next, we're going <laughs> meow oh at my God. When we go live from the district, it's, I'm good. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> meow Paul McLeod. We'll be back. Welcome back. Okay, we're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter, our favorite Canadian when Emma Loop is not working, Paul McLeod. Good morning, Paul. Hmm. Hmm. Hey, good morning. <laughs> wow. You have been spicy. Figured out how to process about what that one. May come. Okay, fair. Okay, so we were just talking about bad tippers. Do you have thoughts? Do they even tip in Canada? Oh yeah, no, I, look, I worked at a coffee shop for a few years back in the day, and by the end of that, I had developed a moral framework where I basically exclusively judged people on whether they tipped or not. But you could tell me like, oh, that guy burned down an orphanage, and I'd be like, yeah, he was a good tipper though, so, you know, <laughs> gotta hear both sides of it. <laughs> Hard to argue. Good Hard to know to the way to your heart. Good to know the way to your heart. I did not yeah. expect it to go I there. take it very seriously. I get it, I get it. All right, well, uh, <laughs> From that to this, DJ Judd captured this moment earlier this morning. Uh, Rudy Giuliani goes full Shakespeare on CNN's New Day, says attorney Michael Cohen betrayed President Donald Trump, quote, like Iago betrayed Othello, Ooh. and Brutus put the last knife in Caesar. Uh, Giuliani, 
<sighs> also went on to say that Mueller doesn't have a goddamned thing. Uh, so, Paul, sounds like things are going great for Trump and his ilk. Uh, what's driving this latest salvo from Giuliani, though? Yeah, Giuliani extremely having a normal one today. Uh, so this appears to largely be in response to Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, uh, just turning on Trump and now telling people that Trump was aware of this infamous 2016 meeting between members of his campaign and uh, uh, Russian agents who said they had dirt on the Clinton campaign. Uh, so we're seeing Giuliani throw a lot of things against the wall to see what sticks here. Uh, going out and saying that, you know, Cohen has no credibility, Trump was never at the meeting, which people weren't even saying he was at the meeting, they just said he knew about the meeting, but anyway, saying that Mueller has some sort of conflict of interest, which Trump himself is is alleging, and yet when you ask them what is this conflict of interest, they <laughs> Rudy Giuliani says he can't tell us what it is. Uh, so it's just a lot of uh, uh, an escalation of what we've seen of him trying to smear uh, Robert uh, Bob Mueller and his whole team. All right, one of the other things I saw Giuliani kind of chucking at the wall was collusion isn't a crime. Ah. Uh, what's that defense all about? I, know. Well, I think it was, it was like a few months ago I made this joke about how like they're doing the old defense of uh, uh, I didn't kill him and if I did he deserved it. Like it's just really, it, Giuliani is saying we didn't collude but even if we did collusion is not a crime which, okay so just to break this down a little bit his version of collusion is essentially uh, in any way using the emails that were hacked by the Russians, the democratic emails, uh, using those for political gain. But that's not really what we're talking about with collusion. I mean, it's one thing when the emails were up there in public for people to, you know, point them out and, I mean, Trump would, like, read parts of them at speeches and stuff like that. That's not what people are, are suspicious of. What people are suspicious of was whether there was any front end and organizing. And that very much is a crime. He's right that the word collusion is not in the criminal code. But conspiring with foreign governments to commit crimes against America, you can't do that. It's frowned upon. Uh, now, of course, I'm not saying that that happened. We don't know that. But uh, the idea that collusion is not a crime is um, it's a, it's a little bit silly. A little bit silly. All right, well, here's a tweet from the president. I would be willing to shut down government if the Democrats do not give us the votes for border security, which includes the wall, must get rid of lottery, catch and release, etc., and finally go to system of immigration based on merit. We need great people coming into our country. Paul, the deadline for a shutdown is two months away. It's on September 30th. So why is this worth worrying about now? Yeah, well, I think this one really is worth worrying about more so than normal. I mean, let's reverse for a few months. I, I can't even remember how many months because no one can tell time anymore. Uh, but the last time we had one of these deadlines for a government shutdown and we went through the whole song and dance. There was kind of a last minute deal worked out and it went to Trump's desk and he didn't want to sign it because he quite rightfully analyzed it as Democrats got a lot of stuff and Republicans didn't really get much of what they were fighting for. Uh, and so he kicked up a fuss. The government actually shut down for a few hours, but eventually he ended up signing it. But very much like he signed it with like the this like begrudging sort of I am not doing this again. This is not the last time. Next time I'm getting my border wall funding. I'm getting all these things that I want. All right. So this brings us to September 30th. This is the last time the government uh, spending bill needs to be passed before the midterms. Republicans are just gonna wanna get in and get out and get this done because they don't want the distraction. Democrats probably do the same thing, except they also have the added element that their base is really animated. They cannot be seen as, as standing there and letting Trump get his border wall right before a midterm election. That would be electoral poison. So there's no way the Democrats are going to bend on that. And Trump has basically said, if you don't give me this, I'm not going to sign a spending bill. We are, we've never quite had the two sides as at odds as we have right now. And what that is a recipe for is a sustained government shutdown right before a midterm election. It could be catastrophic. Could be catastrophic. I guess the question out of that would be, if we were to go into the elections in November and the government is still shut down, who does that play worse for? That's a great question. I generally, generally, these things tend to reflect poorly on the party in power. So that's, I think, why you have you know, Mitch McConnell in the Senate and Paul Ryan in the House. They were a little bit more uh, willing to cut a deal here because they're trying to protect their people and they're trying to protect the party. But Trump doesn't have that 
allegiance. You know, he's he's out there to get his wall built. And I don't know if he really cares that much about whether the Republican Party faces blowback. And that's really the problem for them, because it's not just getting all the other Republicans on board. It's, at the end of the day, you need to get the president to sign the bill. And Trump might just not care if Republicans are on the losing end of it. If they're on the Louisiana. All right. Uh, is this going to be the first thing Congress deals with when they come back from recess? Because it's August, which I'm pretty sure means everyone goes on vacation. Right, Paul? Yeah, exactly. So uh, the House is on vacation. Senate's still in this week, but they're, they've got a Supreme Court justice that they're trying to get confirmed. So they've got a little bit more stuff. But yeah, this will be the big thing when they get back in September. The big thing when they get back in September. All right, Paul. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Cheers, guys. Have a good one. Cheers. Have a good one. Yeah. Up next, Chantal sits down with Dasha Polanco from Orange is the New Black. I'm so excited. I absolutely love her character. So, yeah. Hi, I'm Chantal Fallens, and this is The Sit Down. I'm here with actor Dasha Palanco, star of Netflix's Orange is a New Black. Good morning, Queen. Good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. I mean, you're giving us everything we need on a Monday. I'm matching your lipstick, darling. We love it. <laughs> well, welcome. I just told you earlier, I am deep into season six and just really just like raveling with that. It's such a great season. So let's circle back on season five. Yeah. You recently told Cosmopolitan that season five of Orange is New Black missed some topics that they really could have dwelled in, into more. What do you think season five was lacking? Well, I think that it's really challenging to cover so much in three days, first and foremost. I think the writers have always done a great job at creating depth and layers for the characters, you know, via Genji's guidance and this whole like phenomenon that's orange. But I think that being that it happened in third day in three days and so many things to touch on, some things weren't able to be covered. One of the things that I did want to see was uh, seeing Zayanara go through just giving birth, giving up her daughter and then this whole switch in her like actually taking the gun and shooting the guard and, and so forth. I think there's definitely some postpartum, there's definitely some depression, there's definitely some anxiety, you know, vulnerability, vulnerability and survival are definitely key things that we want to see we wanted to, and now we see in season six. Yeah, so I'll see more layers from Daya. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, season six is definitely something that shows a lot of the resistance, a lot of uh, loyalty, a lot of abuse of power. We also touch on Black Lives Matter. We touch on more transgendered issues, immigration. So Orange has a way of just being relevant and staying on topics and current events. And it just makes sense. Prison reform are just major things that we outside of Orange are experiencing every day, right? And yeah. we are, as society, trying to change. Yeah, and yeah. season five ended on a cliffhanger. So without yes. giving away any spoilers, yes. did Daya take the direction this season that you thought she would? Definitely not. They have always um, done the unexpected. And I think when you receive the script and as an audience, you mm -hmm. can never predict what they're thinking. Yeah. And so for me to start off, like even, you know, I'm, some people have watched, some haven't, so spoiler alert to that. But I think the whole idea of being relative to time and also the abuse that she goes through now in Max, because now we're in a totally new setting. It's not Litchfield anymore. This is maximum security. It's a whole new game. There's more restrictions. There's a lot more rules. And now she has a target on her back because obviously she's known as the one who shot the guard and killed the guard. Yeah, and speaking of that abuse and her having a target on her back, we witnessed her going through a lot of abuse at the hands of the prison guards. Yes. Was it difficult filming those scenes? Definitely. I think that when you read it, you're like reading it, but once you're there and you're experiencing actually the physical abuse, mm -hmm. you, you build more empathy and it, it took a toll on me when I was on that ground and I was getting kicked. Obviously I was protected, I had a sandbag and I was safe, but state of mind where I was once I left there was very empathetic and, and just reminded me that there's women out there that are going through this, just human beings as a whole that are incarcerated and are experiencing physical abuse. 
Wow. I mean, yeah. I want to take a turn here because I want to go some more lighthearted. So yeah. I want to get into this tweet from Kaya Nova. She tweeted, I was trying to figure out how they got such a perfect match to play young Daya on Orange is <laughs> the New Black. Come to find out it's Dasha's real life daughter. Yes. I mean, first of all, I thought it was a CGI. I was like, what is this? What's going on? <laughs> so how did that happen? And what was it like to see your daughter playing a younger version of you? I was very proud of her. She was very professional, and it just happened that my manager and um, my co-star Selenis, we were, you know, my manager gave me the idea, and I called her. And I was like, "What do you think? Uh, how do you think about this? Should I like submit her because of safety? I mean, we we are in the city. My daughter goes to public school, and sometimes I don't want to expose her too much. I want to keep them safe." And I said, you know what, why not? Give her the experience. And I reached out and I suggested that they could use my daughter if they're looking for someone that looks like me. Um, it's funny, I don't see it. People see it. <laughs> you don't it. see it? Yeah, me and her were always like, hmm, that's funny. I don't think I look like you. She's like, mom, I don't look like you. I think. <laughs> I look like myself, but so hard to see, you know, as an individual. Yeah, and I love that motherhood is such a huge theme with Daya, the character. I mean, yes. she was pregnant, she gave birth, and she went through a really taxing and emotional adoption process, and especially the kind of toxic relationship she has with her own mother on the show. So how did you use your own experience as a mother to bring authenticity to Daya's story? You know, it's very important to know that in order for you to portray a role or a character, you have to bring some of your essence. On the contrary, I had a great relationship with my mom. She's like my, she was my best friend. It was like, I looked up to her. I still idolized her. So to be in a situation where there's a lot of conflict and a lot of um, not guided problems, it's like a vicious cycle. It just keeps on repeating itself, right, in that family. I had to step out of judging and just understand that sometimes you can like certain things, not like certain things, but you still love them. And once, you, when you, when that's the only thing you know, then it just seems normal. Yeah, that's what you exude. Yeah. yeah. So, like for Dianara, that's what she knows. I think that she knew it didn't feel right. And it's funny. Somebody had asked me that at the end, you see how uh, Aleda loses hope in her daughter. But that hope that Daya was looking for into her mom was never found. Mm. So that was interesting to see the irony of that. Like you lost hope in your daughter, but you never gave hope to her wow. for her to rely on. So those are certain things. And you can always use experiences like, you know, it doesn't have to be a mother per se, but you could use other relationships that have made you feel a certain way. It's so very important. And I think yeah. one thing that's really great in authenticity and also your realness, you are always tweeting some real gems on your social media. I want to get into this one you tweeted recently. People out here buy my thickness, but roast mine. When I tell you I felt that in my spirit. <laughs> so, <laughs> Do you ever feel pressure in the industry or anything to change who you are? My persona, okay, so I'm to, to be quite frank, and I, I hate using the word because I try to be honest all the time. All the time. <laughs> um, sometimes I just, you know, yeah. I'm a little G-rated, mm -hmm. but I'm usually R-rated. It's all good, it's all good. Um, Safe space. <laughs> <laughs> what I feel like, in the field that I am, and being that I am Latina, and being mm -hmm. that I am a woman of color, I think that there's certain things that I can't get away with mm -hmm. that, you know, people can. And so, when I tweet things like that, instead of me blatantly saying like, you know, there's a lot of bullying on the internet. Well, they try to. I, don't, I could care less. They could say whatever the yeah. hell they want to say about me. I don't care. I do care, but not really. You know what I <laughs> yeah, mean? It's like, yeah. don't talk about my thighs. Yeah, because my thighs, like, honey. What you talk about? Yeah. You exactly. know, like, there's a lot of people that want to have, like, big butts. Yeah. And I was born with this big butt. Like, for people to ask me now, do you have, like, where do you get your ass done? Can you curse here? Yes, go for oh. it. Oh, <laughs> I'm home. Yes. <laughs> well, people ask me to get, you know, like, if I've got my ass done. Yes. And I'm like, no, this, mm -hmm. this is mine. Yeah. This is mine. And even if you get work done, you get work done. But it doesn't mean that you have to, like, I have an issue when you feel that you're better of a woman because you got work done. Yeah. I think that we're all women. We're all beautiful in our own special kind of way and it's however you feel most comfortable that makes you beautiful like for me smelling good and, and how my hygiene and being able to like my ears are clean yes. like there's certain things that I could walk around with a full face of makeup and have dirty ears that's not going to make me look attractive yeah. now 
when I smell good and I know I took a nice little detailed yes. bath and shower and like I'm just like yes, my just house listening. is clean you know I have a little extra here a little yeah, extra mm -hmm. here I feel good yes. so don't knock that yes. don't take that away from me yes absolutely. I don't have to look like a robot I don't have to look like everybody else looks out there I don't want to be a copy of I want to be that special little piece of the puzzle. I love it. I love it so much. You know? And your journey has just been so unique. And, and you started, you know, you were working in a hospital yes. and you were studying nursing when you got booked for your full time role. Yes, I was in clinical. Black clinical. Yes. Downtown Brooklyn. Okay, let us I know. I need to go visit them and say hi. <laughs> So, Sometimes I feel like I want to go back. Okay, listen, you got okay, you safety, have to have you know, Always. Okay. We're taught that way, yes, right? Yes, you have to. Listen, there's times now that I'm like, why am I holding on to this thing? Like, I don't know, like little things, like a yeah. little shopping bag, yes. right? I'm like holding on to it because you're, you're taught, you're to, taught like, to hold on to everything. But now I'm like, let things go. Yeah, so what do you want women, especially women of color, to take away from your journey? I think that there's limitless power in being able to evolve and to follow whatever your heart desires. It's not, I think that we have this perception that just keep it real, just keep it real. It's okay to evolve and to grow and to absorb, to assimilate what's around you, to learn from different cultures and whatever makes you feel most happy and content is what matters. Mentally healthy, right? To be mentally healthy, to be present. Yes. I mean, we have to treat what's superficial as what it is, it's just a mere layer, but to be, to be able to go in depth and to reach within, I think is so much more beautiful, right? To be honest with yourself first, because I lied to myself a whole bunch of time, honey. <laughs> you know, you I'm like, for this you're morning. ugly. You are, you're literally giving us gyms. Listen. Sasha, I mean, we could have all day. You are giving me my entire life. So these gyms you are dropping are amazing. Bring me back. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We love you dearly. <laughs> Friends, season six of Orange is the New Black is on Netflix now. If you've already binge watched without any spoilers, tell us what you thought about the new season using the hashtag AM to DM. Up next, we talk about Sharp Objects, another show that's on my watch list. All right, here's a tweet from our own Allison Wilmore. Sharp objects got me thinking about the prestige drama, how I'm glad the conversation about quality TV has gotten pride out of its grip, but how I also love the darkness. We love <laughs> the darkness, darling. Allison joins me now to welcome in the prestige that we deserve mm -hmm. and the darkness we live for. Hi, Allison. Hi. <laughs> Gotta go off street. You gotta go off yeah, street. We're yeah. tough. We're tough. You don't know it. You don't know it. Okay, so you wrote about how Amy Adams' new HBO series, Sharp Objects, I love this, breaks into the boys' club of, of dark TV, of prestige drama. I, I totally agree with that idea. How does it break in? Well, I, it really kind of brings me back to a lot of the shows that kind of set off our age of peak TV. You know, okay. your Sopranos, Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad mm -hmm. your Mad Men's. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's so kind of like female driven. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of like, there's been so much great female made and female driven. TV, mm -hmm. but it's often not in this world, you okay. know, your crazy ex-girlfriends, mm -hmm. uh, Insecure, mm -hmm. a lot of shows that kind of are more in the realm of comedy, even when they tackle some dark things. Right. I think Orange is the New Black Orange is the new black. like prestige drama. Absolutely. But, but it's just because of this bias. Right. <laughs> but it's also, it's also like even that, you know, yeah. you're dealing with some very dark things, but mm -hmm. it's often funny. Funny, yeah. Uh, and I think that Sharp Objects is not a comedy. Mm -hmm. It's definitely- Super not. Yes. <laughs> it deals with a murder mystery in a small town, but also someone who's dealing with just a lot of kind of dark past and current trauma. Absolutely. Um, here's a tweet from Alina R. Um, what strikes me about Sharp Objects is that I don't recall ever seeing such a up-close take on female trauma, which is crazy when you think about it, because of course, we are 50% of the population, she says, um, and trauma can happen to anyone. To that point, you wrote, the series invites us in with promises of lurid murder, murders and swaggering self-destruction. We love when self-destruction swaggers. <laughs> uh, and then gives us an in-depth portrait of a woman, and I started picking up on that pretty quickly, just looking at Amy Adams' face. Um, how does it give us this perspective? Well, it deals with someone who uh, we kind of learn more and more about her. It's funny, in some ways, she is as much the mystery as yes. anything, yeah. you know, that, mm -hmm. that kind of, it's more about her than I would say it is kind of a story-driven, mm -hmm. like, who did it. She's like a, a living ghost kind of walking through window. Yeah, and I think it really, uh, you know, it deals with, and I think, you know, you gotta watch out for yourself for this, mm -hmm. but like self-harm, but mm -hmm. also it deals with this 
this idea of like sometimes you can like escape from your oppressive mm -hmm. kind of childhood, but you don't really get out of it. Right. You've just carried it with you, mm -hmm. and it's still kind of like like affecting who you are. Yeah. And I think that the series really does a good job of showing how you can't always necessarily escape from your past, even if you literally yeah. do. And, and speaking on the technical way, I was impressed at how like the the concept of a flashback is kind of subverted because you it, it's like they're they're merging with present and past scenes in a way I can't even explain, right? But it's like you're in the bathtub, then she's in the river. Yeah, you're mm -hmm. constantly. It really puts you in her head yes. in that way yeah. where like sometimes just something little can like flash mm -hmm. you back just a little bit. Yeah. yeah, it's really kind of a lot of sense memory, and it really insists that you are there with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, this is adapted from Gillian Flynn's novel uh, Sharp Objects. She of course wrote uh, Gone Girl yeah. and Dark Places, which okay, we already know. Like, look out. <laughs> Dangerous, capable yeah. women, look out. How does this stand up to the book, though? She's got a goth streak, too, oh, I would say. Does. Yeah, yeah. I think this was her first book or her oh. second. It was an earlier one before Gone Girl. And Gone Girl was obviously like a huge mm -hmm. deal, mm -hmm. a huge blockbuster, or it became a blockbuster. Uh, but I think that this one, it feels like the the show actually builds out on the book in a way oh, that okay. I really like. Like mm -hmm. I read, I read the book a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I think this show manages to kind of delve more into the quality of the town mm -hmm. and more into this real feeling of like this oppressive small town where no one ever actually talks about bad things that happen. Mm -hmm. Everyone just kind of smooths it over. Yeah, but everyone yeah. knows. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Um, Corey Lindsay said, first Big Little Lies and now Sharp Objects. I'm going to need John Mark Valet to adapt all of my favorite books. Um, how does this? I was think I loved Big Little Lies. Me I waited. Too. Until it was over and I watched it all at once and woof, what an experience. How does this compare to Big Little Lies? I think they have a very similar look. Mm -hmm. And he also uh, adapted Wild, remember? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, right. He book. knows his audience. He does. I know. And I think, you know. <laughs> Tough women. He, yeah, he's mm -hmm. very good at kind of showing this real female point of view and female gaze, mm -hmm. which I love. But I think that this is kind of like the dark sibling to mm -hmm. Big Little Lies. Ooh. Yeah, Big Little Lies, you know. But they both also, they both use flashbacks and they both use a soundtrack really well. And in Sharp Objects, you kind of figure out what the soundtrack means after a while. Okay, I'm curious about that. Yeah, start, yeah. Every time she puts it on, and is it the stepfather? He's listening to music a lot in the house. Yeah, he is too. Like, yeah, right, I'm sussing. Yeah, sussing. a lot of texture there. Yeah, with this drama. Okay, well, you know, Amy Adams is incredible. I live for her. Doubt. Come on, y'all. Um, Patricia Clarkson, we were just talking about She's last incredible. week. She's incredible. Woman First Wednesday, Love Her, Pieces of April, one of my mm -hmm. favorite movies. Um, what are some other standout performances in this show? Well, I have to shout out Chris Messina. Who A man. Is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And like, woo. Also, I mean, literally, he is kind of sweaty the whole time. <laughs> Everyone's pretty sweaty. I did like it that. It is, detail. yes. Uh, you can tell it's warm. They're close um, to Tennessee. So. Yeah. But he, I think, is really great as mm -hmm. this Kansas City cop mm -hmm. who's been brought in to investigate. And of course, everyone in town is not thrilled to have an outsider there. So he and Amy Adams' character, they have this kind of flirty, contentious banter, uh -huh. you know, the journalist and the cop. I like it. Yeah. I, like I was really into it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Allison, as always, I say this over and over. One of my favorite film and TV critics. It's always just a, such a delight to see your perspective on things I'm already interested in. Thank you for joining us. Um, up next, Isaac and I are going to read your tweets. See what I've been saying. Welcome back. I've got a tweet here from Lauren Perez. Glad I started my day listening to the Sharp Objects soundtrack and now AM to DM is chatting about it. All right, Lauren. Like to be on the pulse. Moody. It's so music moody. is very much a part yes, of it. Yes, she's, because she's, um, Amy Adams' character is a journalist from St. Louis and so she's in her car a lot um, and, and she it clearly likes music and so mm. it's important and it's actually, it's interesting. It's like, it's clear the character is telling you something about herself you don't know it yet is yeah. how I feel, first episode. I love, I love talking about that and, and Allison's piece, uh, Female Trauma and mm -hmm. just the stories being told from female mm -hmm. perspectives, and then having Dasha on the show, of course, yes. Orange is the New Black, a yes. show that did that so well just mm -hmm. from the jump. Mm -hmm. um, I also want to know where, who Dasha's suit person is, That was that was amazing. Children. Are you kidding me? Category is pink. That color. That was a suit. It popped. Beautiful. It was amazing. Beautiful. I feel like Dasha is like totally like a fashion icon. I feel mm -hmm. like I've got to see pictures of her, I'm just like, ah. Oh. 100%. The looks. Well, let's talk about the disrespect. Uh, we, <laughs> and a lot of you, myself included, saw the question and was like, I'm not answering that. I'm still too ashamed. Uh, we asked you, what's the most disrespectful thing you've ever said to an elder? Mm. Daniel Sanchez, very brave. Sanchez Torres, you said this. I once learned the age of a friend of my parents and said, wow, I'm surprised you're not dead yet. You're so old. She wasn't even that old, barely in her 40s at the time. Ooh. Damn, Daniel. Wow. 
What's the Ooh. punishment? That's got to be our follow-up question. If <laughs> you're a parent, I mean, I guess what's the dis- punishment I guess you say? Yeah, when your kids really mouth off about the age. You know thing. what I would do? I just I was like, what would be a good punishment? Mm. I would like find a book about like like life expectancy and be like, here's a book uh, about all the children who died of cholera at the age of. You would. <laughs> Saeed's like, I would traumatize them for life. You ain't one foot out the grave yourself, (laughs) little Daniel. (laughs) Death comes for us all. Okay, slow down, Sylvia Plath. I bet they'd be nicer. Jessica Valenti, she tweeted, I told my mom to fuck off once when I was a teenager, and I've honestly never gotten over it. Wow. I will never forget in middle school. In middle school, I was waiting in the hallway near the, the front of the school, and a kid uh, who clearly just was rude to his mom all the time told her to come the fuck on, like he was standing at the door and like, impa- and I, I'm still, like she is, I'm still devastated. <laughs> I was shook. I could not believe someone would speak to their mom like that. And, and Jessica, and I, live. I kind of want to hear a follow-up. I want to, what, what was your mom's reaction to that? What do you do? Mm. What do you do? I bet mm. Jessica gets like, great Mother's Day gifts. Different, <laughs> just like here, just, oh my I'm God. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, different oh households, but, different but roles. Sometimes. Part of being young is being a dumbass. Mm. That's what we, uh, that's you fair. know, for better or worse. Uh, we also asked for your stories about tipping. My goodness, Bunny Please says this. I've stopped going out to eat with friends who tip poorly, especially after I invited a friend to my regular lunch spot. Ooh, and they stiffed a server I knew on a first name basis. I was so horrified. I tipped what they should have tipped in the first place. I was so aghast. That's right. You can't be messing with people's regular eatering, like eateries. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> eateries. That, eateries. Yeah, no, it is. No. It's super, Ooh. it's super mm-hmm. messed up to bring somebody. Hey, like, you're basically being like, I vouch for this person. This is a good person. This is yeah. a person I choose to spend time mm-hmm. with, especially at a spot where you're a regular. Yeah. And all of a sudden the people that you know, the people that you love, I mean, for me, I, I don't cook a lot. Restaurants, bars, these are second homes Uh to me. And so to all of a sudden have somebody be disrespectful to people that you know in that way is so hard. And then again, you're left covering. You're left covering their bad tip, which is like, maybe you should be spending time with that person. Mm. Rosemary also has a tipping horror story. I was a birthday party hostess at a roller skating rink, served 30 kids pizza, carried four pitchers at a time, and repeatedly filled them up, counted bags of tokens, served parents catering, run around doing the chicken dance, cut a cake meant for 20 into 48 slices. It was a $1,000 bill and no tip. And look at the detail. Rosemary's like, I know the she number. She remembers of- <laughs> that day. She, do you know oh how my just God. to be at a roller rink in general is a tough, uh, pretty thankless job. But to have a $1,000 tip, you do all that. You work your ass off and to get nothing in return. And that means m- multiple adults, I would have to. Multiple parents mm-hmm. had to make it just... Ooh, the I think y'all are so right. You're saying so much about yourself in that moment. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Lord, I want to go. Thank you for sharing. Somebody your... just because I feel like today was one of those shows where all of you guys had such great stories, yeah. and it was really great. Ooh. Thank you for sharing them. My goodness, thank you, of course, to all of our guests, Dasha Polanco and her pink suit. Mm. Thank you both for joining us, <laughs> uh, Brianna Sachs, Monica Burden, Paul McLeod, Chantal Fallins, and of course, Allison Wilmore. Thank you. Absolutely. Listen, Monday. Good luck out there. We will see you back <laughs> here tomorrow, 10 a.m. It'll be Tuesday. It's gonna be a good one. Get him. Go get him. You're not old.